welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. We are looking at the payoff today. What we get out of following Jesus. I'm sure you want to know what we get out of of following Jesus. What's in it for me? That sounds like a little bit of a selfish notion. So if I said, who wants to know? You might not put your hands up because you might think this is a trick question. But seriously, who wants to know what's in it for me? We do. We, we want to know what's in it for us. And I'm going to start by saying what is not in it for us, what it's not about. What following Jesus is not about, and it may surprise you. The first thing is that you'll be a better person. Following Jesus is not about making you a better person, although I believe you will be a better person. But that's not what it's about. Some of the best people I know are Christ followers. You will be a better person, but that's not the payoff. That's not the promise. That's not what it's about. Some might say, ah, it's about going to heaven. No, it's not. Following Jesus is not about going to heaven. Jesus spoke very little about going to heaven. I thank God for heaven, but heaven for us is in that time when we get to heaven. But what about the here and now? What do we get for following Jesus in the here and in the now? It's not about going to heaven. In actual fact, when Jesus was crucified, he had someone on his right and on his left. And one of the guys on his right said to the other robber, He said, we are here because we deserve to be here. But this man's an innocent man. He does not deserve to be here. And Jesus looks at this man and says, today you'll be with me in paradise. This person got to heaven and he never, ever, ever followed Jesus. He never had the chance. He was bound to a cross. He never had the chance to follow Jesus. And yet he got to heaven, which is an amazing thought. Can I just add... It's not just crying out the name Jesus on your deathbed that gets you to heaven. This man owned his sin. He owned his wrongdoing. He said, we deserve this. He does not. Will you forgive me? And as a result, without being a follower of Jesus, he got to heaven. So it's not about heaven. It's not a promise of a pain-free, problem-free life. In other words, if you do these three things, then this will happen. That's not Christianity, that's superstition. That's not Christianity, that's magic. And the thing about magic is this, magic always works. Some of the time. Superstitions always work. Some of the time. Some guys have their lucky jocks because the first time they wore those jocks, they got a hundred runs And so now they always wear those jocks because on that day it worked. And so they wear their lucky jocks every time they go out to bat hoping to get 100 runs. But guess what? They never always get 100 runs. Sometimes they do because all magic works some of the time. We might not do that as Christians, have lucky jocks when we come to church, but we may have a St. Christopher. We may have a cross that we rub, that we kiss every day. We may have our little routines that we do. If I read my Bible, if I pray every day, then this will happen. Yeah, it will some of the time. If if you've been told you read your Bible in the morning, you pray in the morning, you will have a blessed day. You will some of the time. 
It's superstition. It's magic and all magic works. Ha ha, some of the time. And so when you pray and when you read your Bible and you have a blessed day, praise God, it works. It will, some of the time. I have woken up some days and I have prayed and I've read my Bible and I've had a horrible day. Because superstition doesn't work all of the time. And so whatever it is that you do, I want you to know, do it, but it's got nothing to do with following Jesus. These things have nothing to do with the payoff of following Jesus. Which brings us to the question, what is the payoff? What is the bottom line? What is the result of us following Christ? And I believe when we discover this today, you're going to see this everywhere in Scripture. And so I want to read from the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 10. And I want to give you a bit of background first, because in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus uh, is talking to three groups of people. Jesus is speaking to the town people. Wherever Jesus went, people from the towns that he went to would turn out. That was one group of people. And then he had those who just were his friends, who liked him and followed him wherever he went. People like Lazarus, people like Mary. That was another group of people. But then there was another group of people, his inner circle. Those that he handpicked to be disciples, to be apostles. And it's to this handpicked group of people that Jesus spoke to them specifically. Now, what he spoke to them specifically about is recorded in Scripture, and we're about to read it, but don't panic. He's not asking you necessarily to do this. He's not saying that you will face these things. This was some advice for a group of 12 people. He handpicks them. He prays for them. He anoints them. He commissions them. He gives them some jobs to do, and then he brings them into a little bit of their future. And this is where we pick up the story, Matthew 10, Verse 16, unfortunately we do not have the scripture on the screen, so bear with me. Jesus said to them, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard, you'll be handed over to the local councils and you'll be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you'll be brought before the governor's and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what you will say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You'll be hated by everyone because of me. Jesus handpicks a group of 12 men at the height of his popularity. You've got to get what's going on here. Can you imagine how important these 12 men felt at that moment? The man with the plan who's got fame 
and popularity on his side, the one that everyone is talking about, the one that everyone wants a piece of, has tan-picked us to be in his inner circle. This is an exciting day. And they're thinking, this is amazing. Of all the people on the planet, he picked us. And now he's called us aside. He's not talking to the townspeople. He's not talking to his close friends. He's talking to us. He's in a circle. What's he going to say? This is going to be awesome. What's the promise going to be? Fame, (laughs) fortune, popularity. Oh, bring it on, Jesus. Come on, bring it. And to their surprise, he doesn't talk about fame. He doesn't talk about popularity. He doesn't talk about all those things that we so often crave and desire. By the time Jesus has finished speaking to this group of 12, I imagine they're thinking, um, when he said, I imagine Matthew's there like, Matthew, there's a, there's a lot of Matthews. I'm sure, it's, sure it's me being, I mean, there was other Matthews. Maybe he meant another Matthew. As he unrolls his plan for these particular followers, and they start weighing up, hang on a minute, whoa, 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 whoa. We're going to be arrested. We're going to be whipped, flogged, and beaten. To be flogged back in the day was a permanent record. You know when you get a record, a criminal record, it's a permanent one. And it lives with you for the rest of your life. Well, when you were flogged and beaten, it was a permanent record. Every time you took off your shirt to go to the beach, people knew that you'd done something wrong to deserve such a punishment. It was kind of like a criminal record on your body. It's a permanent mark. And they're saying, hang on a minute, whoa, what? I'm, I'm going to be flogged, beaten, and arrested. You see, the reward for following Jesus is not fame and fortune, but the reward and the payoff for following Jesus is that you will become fearless. That's what is on offer. If you want to follow Jesus, the payoff is that you will walk around and not be afraid. That you will not fear things that other people fear. That's The goal, that's what's on offer for us who say yes to following Jesus. He looks at his disciples and says, when you are arrested. In other words, not if, but when. He says, when you're arrested, do not worry what you will say. Now, if I was one of the disciples, if I was one of the 12, when Jesus was saying that to me, I'd be saying, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not going to be worried about what I'm saying I'm I'm still trying to get over the first bit that I'll be arrested. That's what I'm worried about right now. And Jesus is saying, when you're arrested, do not worry what you will say. He goes on to say, for God will be speaking through you. Again, I put myself in the situation. If I was there on that day, And Jesus said those words to me. I'd be saying, "Uh, Jesus, you're telling me that God will be with us? Yes. Well, 
Jesus, if God is with us, why doesn't God just get us out of that place? And another thing, Jesus, if God is with us, why would he allow us to be arrested in the first place? Am I talking to the right people? I mean, surely you've got to ask yourself those questions. If God is with us, get me out of here. I don't want words to speak. I want freedom and I want it now. If God is indeed with me, get me out of this mess. But Jesus doesn't promise them that. The goal of following Jesus is to get you and I to a place where we do not fear. He looks at the disciples and says, you're going to be arrested, but do not be afraid. You're going to be flogged, but do not be afraid. In other words, this is going to happen, but how you respond is all important. You're going to be falsely accused. But do not be afraid. You're going to be physically abused. But do not be afraid. Jesus is trying to get us to a place that we do not fear. And the only way we're going to get to this place where we do not fear is through continually following him. I cannot stand before you today and say there's nothing I don't fear. But I can say this, because of following Jesus, there's things I used to fear that I no longer fear. I'm a work in progress and so are you. And take heart, the disciples didn't always get this right. Because they, like us, are a work in progress. But know this, the goal is to get you and I to a place where we don't freak out every time the smallest thing happens to us. That's the purpose and that's the goal of us following Jesus. He goes on to say in Matthew 10, reading from verse 28, Do not be afraid of those that kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. See, Jesus is trying to take us to a place, as he was trying to take the disciples to a place where their eyes were more on him than their circumstance. Where our faith in God is so big and so strong. Where we are so secure in the Father's love that it overshadows our fear. See, this is not magic. This is a confidence that's found in God. This is a confidence we have. And this becomes our testimony when we act differently than others. 
at the recent passing of my mom, so many people said to me, how are you doing? I said, great. I said, no, how are you really doing? Because we can't conceive that it's possible to lose something so dear and so near and still be in a place that is good. This is not magic. This is confidence in God. This is a confidence in the one who does not change. This is where following Christ is going to take us, where we don't fear death, where we don't fear the unknown, where we don't fear the uncertainties that so many fear. This is the payoff of following Christ, that we live differently, we act differently, and we speak differently than those that are in this world. That is our hope, this hope of glory that's found deep on the inside of us. As I've already mentioned before, I'm a work in progress and so are you and so were the disciples. They didn't get some of these things to the very end. But Jesus wants to take us to that place where we can face any situation and not be afraid. And that's where following Jesus ultimately leads us. I want to read another portion from the text this morning. And it's found in Matthew chapter 4. And it highlights exactly what we're talking about. In Mark chapter 4, verse 35, it says, One day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Sounds good. Leaving the crowd behind. That must have sounded really good. All these people, and you've chosen us yet again to go on a little boat cruise with you. I mean, this is awesome. This is amazing. This reminds me of when Pastor Paul asked me to go to a conference with him to Melbourne. He didn't ask everyone, he asked me and two other guys, just three of us. It was awesome, just us three, not the whole church. Little did I know where that trip was leading us. And that's what's going on here with the disciples. <laughs> Twelve in a boat going on a dolphin cruise with Jesus. <laughs> and no one else is invited. That's how special we are. That's how awesome we are. And we're going to the other side. Got business to do on the other side. Jesus left out some very important information. What was about to happen? He does that. You don't want to know everything that God has planned for you. You don't want to know. Well, Tony, what's the will of God for my life? <laughs> you don't want to know. Just take the next step. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him and a furious. Everyone say furious. furious. It's not like a... Not like if he ripples. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. And Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care? amazing. The only one who does care was accused of not caring. Jesus was falsely accused. So when we're falsely accused, 
We can respond the way Jesus responded. Don't you care if we drown? He got up. He rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. The sea got this message quicker than the disciples. And Jesus said to them, get this, why are you so afraid? I mean, that must be looking up because we must drown. I mean, I have a Monty Python view of Scripture. I mean, like when I see that, why were you so afraid? It's pretty obvious, Jesus. We almost died. That's why we were afraid. But he's not put off. He goes on to say, just still have no faith. They were terrified. And they asked each other, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Jesus calms this storm. He asks him a question Why are you afraid? Why is your faith so small? And in the heart of the disciples, I can only imagine they're saying, Yeah, but Lord, why the storm? That's the question we want to know why the storm? But the question Jesus wants to know is, why your lack of faith? When we're asking, why this? And why that? And why did this thing have to happen? And why did that thing happen? Jesus is saying, why the lack of faith? Why the lack of faith? And at that moment, Jesus had them exactly where he wanted them. They went from being afraid of a storm to being more afraid of the one who was able to calm the storm. In other words, their fear of the storm diminished at the fear of their God. They had a greater fear of the one who was able to control the wind and the waves. And that's exactly where Jesus wanted the disciples. And it's exactly where he wants you and I. Where our focus, our attention, our gaze is not on all the things that are happening around us, but it's on the one who's able to cast us into heaven or hell, who has a bearing on our eternity, a healthy fear of the living God. I've told this story before, but it's certainly worth telling again. But when we were young kids growing up, and we grew up just around the corner here, in Parra Hills on 12 Carroll Drive. And Carroll Drive had a Carroll Drive bully. His name was Peter Hutt. If you are here today, Peter Hutt, you are so welcome. And thank you for the illustration. But Peter used to terrorise Carroll Drive. We used to go down the little alleyway on our go-kart, have so much fun. But when we saw Peter Hutt come, we would just run and get our little go-kart and hide. He's a bully. And there was one day, I'll never forget it, I was in the front yard of 12 Carroll Drive with my dad. And 
and Pete was on Carroll Drive and he came back crying because he'd been bullied by Peter Hutt. And I'll never forget the words of my dad. I'll never forget the look on his face as he pointed to Pete and pointed to his little chest and said, I want you to go back to Peter Hutt right now and punch him in the face as hard as you can. (laughs) I also remember Pete's look on his face. (laughs) The look on his face possibly was the same look that the disciples had On their face. When Pete's fear of Peter Hart diminished at the fear of dad and not doing what he said. (laughs) And so Pete, full of confidence, having been clothed with power from a higher source, (laughs) turned around, walked down the road and proceeded to beat the stuffing (laughs) out of the Carol Drive bully. Needless to say, from that moment on, there was a new bully (laughs) on Carol Drive. But the fear diminished at the fear of not doing what he was told by his dad. That's what Jesus is trying to get us to see here. That we'd be more afraid, more focused, more in love with the one who's able and over every circumstance and situation. I don't mean to dishonour my mum in the way I'm responding this morning, but everyone makes it about you've got to honour your mum, you've got to honour your dad, you've got to honour in their memory. What about honouring God? I'm more keen to be honouring God in this moment of my life than anyone or anything else. This is what following Christ has taught me, that we would honour Him in the good, in the bad and the ugly, and we face the good, the bad and the ugly all the time. Because the promise was not pain-free, problem-free. The promise was that we could live a life without fear. It's so wonderful to be able to give my mum a send-off on Wednesday, knowing that I grabbed every moment, that I lived with no regret. Every conversation that needed to be had, I had. Every apology that needed to be made, I made. Every deep and meaningful conversation that needed to take place was had. Every rebuke, every challenge, every opportunity to present the gospel was taken. And it's wonderful to live with the confidence knowing that I didn't allow the fear of that moment to get the better of me so that I could stand up and speak. See, some of us are so afraid of what people might say, what people might think that we don't say or do anything. It's the reason, it's probably the number one reason why immaturity prevails in the church because we don't have people who are willing to step up and speak the truth in love because we're too afraid about losing the friendship. That We're too afraid about bringing that truth. And Jesus wants to get to this place 
where our relationship with him means more than anything else. Where we don't have to be so terrified or afraid. The question has to be asked then, why, why would he choose this way? Why this promise? Why this way? Well, I believe it's a number of things. Firstly, that this way honours God. It proves that he can be trusted and that his word is, is his bond. You see, if I said to Paul, we have a prayer meeting on Wednesday night, will you be there? And he says yes, and I believe him. It says more about Paul and his integrity than my faith I have in him. That he's a man that can be trusted. That I don't have to second guess. If Paul said it, it'll happen. And when we can put our trust in God, it honours him. When, we say, when he says, don't worry, so I won't, it's one of the greatest ways we can honour God. And so when I don't fight Paul, are you sure you're going to be there? Are you sure you're going to be there? You have something, what, what is it about me that you don't trust? Haven't you noticed over the years I've, I've been faithful and I say, I'll be there. I said I'll be there, I'll be there. And when you look over the thousands of years, God has this track of faithfulness. He can be trusted. Storms of life come and go. But the constant is God in it all. The other key reason I believe is because it frees us to love other people. When we truly do not fear, it frees us to love others. When we're not afraid of what people think, when we're not afraid of how people respond, when we trust ourselves to God's care, we can get on with the business of loving people. See, some of us are so filled with hurt and jealousy and hatred and all these things, there is no room to love people. We're too cynical, we're too sceptical. But when we follow Jesus and trust him and are not afraid, it gives us the ability to love people. Because a perfect love casts out fear. And when we're not afraid, we have the opportunity to live in a pure love. In a pure freedom. In a pure joy. The Bible says that we should pray for those who persecute us. Not just pray for our friends, but pray for those who persecute us. How do we do that? When there's no fear. Because when there's no fear, we can truly love. One person I will be forever grateful for is my dad. Because he's modelled this to me better than anybody. He's been able to love people who have not returned the love. And it's a wonderful quality. And it's probably the one quality that just attracted me to the whole message of Christ in the first place. Jesus is saying when you have people that are against you, you can love them. When people are abusing you and falsely accusing you, you can love them. 
Now, when you live in this, it will always be misconstrued because it's so foreign. And Dad's had to put up with some accusations for his willingness to hang around. I love my mum. Going to miss her. I really do. She was a great mum and she's a great friend and she's a great person, but she wasn't great to my dad. And at the age of 12, when she wanted a divorce, and my dad stepped in and said, no, 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 you're not going anywhere. Our boys need a mum and a dad. And he was so right. And for the next month and year and decades later, to stay in that environment and love and be bigger than the circumstance and be bigger than the situation, that's what following Jesus gets you. And that's what I desire for me and my family. And it's what I desire for every one of you in this room. Because I can't promise you pain-free or problem-free. In actual fact, I prophesy pain and problems. They're coming your way. I don't know what they're going to look like. But they're coming your way. And Jesus says, when those moments come, don't worry. Don't be afraid. For I'm with you. It may be misconstrued initially. It may be misconstrued as pain management, denial. Maybe some are looking at me here now and saying, that's just denial, that's the first of the five. I get it, I know. Maybe some of you are saying, yeah, the only reason you're like that is because you're not as smart as me, Tony, and you'd be right. But this I know, this works. This works. We celebrate 20 years as a church next year. There's not too many that can boast hanging around one church for 20 years and leading it. But that's not my boast. My boast is I can stand here doing that and stand here before you and not have bitterness or hurt or harbour any unforgiveness toward any person. And there's a lot of people that have done me a lot of harm. And that boast is not one that I take for myself. It's one that I have because of this walking closely and following closely the life of Christ. This reality I talk about can be your reality, but it comes with following. It comes with enduring. It comes with persisting. It comes with not giving up. It comes with not giving in. It comes to hanging around long enough to be able to look back with the benefit of hindsight. See, often when we look forward, we can't see God. It's when we look back and say, you're good. Lord, I don't get where I'm going. That was awesome, thank you. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know how you're going to get me out of this. That was amazing, thank you, Lord. So how do you do that? Don't worry. This I know, the best is yet to come. As our band come to the stage, I want to read from Romans chapter 8, verse 28. 
says, we know in all things that God is working for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. It goes on to say in verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, or persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or the sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced. What are you convinced of this morning? I'm convinced. I was convinced that God would be with me when my mum passed away, and that is proving to be true. Some of you might dare to say, you wait till your dad dies. You are closer to him. I am convinced that on that day, assuming he doesn't outlive me, which there's a good chance of that, But I'm convinced that the same God who's helping me at this moment will help me at that moment and help me for every other moment that I face. I'm convinced of that. What are you convinced of? Paul was convinced that neither future nor the present, death nor life, angels nor demons, powers, principalities, height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation was able to separate him from the love of God that's in us, in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm not there yet. I'm not. There are some things in my life that I haven't faced and they freak me out. They terrify me. But this I know, the way I'm going to get through those moments is the exact same way I got through the things in my past that used to once terrify me. It's through following Jesus. Knowing that He's with me. Knowing that He'll give me the words to speak. See, this is not a come down the front and be prayed for and the lesson learnt. This is an ongoing journey. It's the journey of discipleship. It's the journey of being a follower of Christ. It's not just about going to church. It's not just about reading your Bible. It's not just about praying. You can go to church, pray and read, and your life not change one bit. You can attach a formula to that and say, if I do these three things, then my business will... It might work. Since I've been going to church, my business is booming. That's great. But I know just as many people that their business went downhill as a result of going to church. I know people that have been blessed and healed from terminal illness as a result of following Jesus. Praise God. But I also know people who will die today for their faith. I know people that are locked away, drinking their own urine in some cell somewhere, because of the faith that they profess and there is no relief in sight and they will die in that cell because they follow Jesus. But this I know, there is God with that person. They said, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Some of you, God will turn your marriage around as a result of biblical principles being put into practice. Thank God. And some of you, that may not be the case. But do not be afraid. For God is with you.
Every time I see someone sick, I'm going to pray because I believe God heals. And we've seen incredible healing take place. And I'll continue to pray that God heals people. And God will heal. Those that pray and read their Bible and go to church, they'll be healed. And there'll be others who pray and read their Bible and go to church and will not see the healing come. But do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Some of the early church got locked up in jail and God brought an earthquake and supernaturally, miraculously released them. Wow. Amazing. But in Acts chapter 12, James went to prison and got killed. But do not be afraid. Stephen, sorry, Paul, was stoned for his faith. People throwing rocks at him, dragged out of a city. The disciples gathered around him. I believe the man died. And possibly, quite possibly, that's when he went up to the third heaven. Who knows? But the disciples gathered around and prayed. And he rose up and he went back into the same city that persecuted him. Praise God. What a victorious story. Stephen got stoned and he died. But the promise was, do not be afraid. And as Stephen looked up to heaven and was pelted with stones, he says, look, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Hey, if I keep going down this track, where's the money? Whoa. Do not be afraid. What's the point? My wife's not listening. I might as well get to, whoa, 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 stop. You're thinking too far ahead. Do not be afraid. You'll see this over and over in Scripture. Jesus, whoa, do not be afraid. That's the message of following Christ. Jesus spoke more about not being afraid than going to heaven. Follow me. Don't be afraid. But Jesus has a storm. I know, I know there's a storm, but don't be afraid. I remember having the privilege of praying for a young baby that was born blind and God supernaturally moved and healed that baby. It wasn't a biological child of ours, but God used us to pray and healing. Kath and I decided to have a family and our second child at the 18-week mark in the pregnancy process, we find there's a problem in the womb. There's an abnormality on your child. The umbilical cord is not normal. We, we suggest, we counsel you to abort. And I remember the same peace that I feel now back then. The same God who's meeting my need now met me in that hospital room. And I remember in a moment thinking, if this child is born and can't ever speak, and I never get to hear him say, Mom or Dad, we're going to give birth to this child and be the best parents we can. If we have to push him around in a wheelchair, 
so be it. But one thing I can't do, God, is take your place. I don't have the right to take this child's life. And so he said, as a doctor, I appreciate your position, but you must appreciate mine as a parent. We're not going ahead with this. They got angry with me. They thought I was in denial. They thought I was being irresponsible because people don't get when true Christianity exists. They don't get it. And they're not meant to get it. It's spiritually discerned. We're not meant to be so like the world that we're like the world. X amount of weeks later, the child is born and some of the observations they noted were there. Why is it that I can pray for a child that's not mine and supernatural healing can take place? You would think after all the things I've done for God, after planting a church, after doing this and doing that, you'd think. But God's not like that. I remember God saying, well, wrong question. Do not be afraid. We're in turmoil most of the time because we're so afraid. Do not be afraid. My son is now 13 years of age. He's on the second row and he's just an awesome kid. I'm not allowed to kill him now, even though at times. But in the womb, it's okay. There's a time you can play God and there's a time you can't, apparently. I'm so glad that the peace prevailed at that moment to make a decision that was not based upon rationale. But there was a deeper decision that was made. And I remember saying to Kath, this I know, this I'm convinced of. God can heal Mitch. I know that. I know, like I know, like I know, like I know. To this day, God can heal Mitch. In actual fact, for those of you who are unaware, his left hand doesn't have all the fingers that his right hand does. And he's put that little thing to good use and made lots of jokes and tricks and whatever. But there was talk of taking two of his toes and putting it on his hand to give him a bit more mobility and dexterity and some other word I can't even remember. And I remember saying, Kathy, it would be just my luck that we'd have that operation and God would heal his hand. And so we'd have a full hand of fingers and two toes. <laughs> that would be just my luck. We laughed about it, but I was deadly serious. I thought that would be just my luck. Two fingers, two toes on his hand is a reminder of my lack of faith. I don't want to live with that. And so in the stillness and the calmness, I said, this I know, God can heal. But even if he doesn't, his life will be used to the glory of God. And how he conducts himself and how he handles himself and how he responds to life will be a greater testimony than God actually healing him. And that's our testimony to date. Where does that rationale, where does that place, that comes from a place 
where God is bigger than your problems. So someone who doesn't like you right now, someone's saying something bad about you right now, I, I get it, I, I know the pain of that. But get your eyes off that thing. God wants us to be so consumed with his bigness, so saturated in his love and security, that the terror and the fear of those thoughts would just pass away. And in that place of peace, you can see more clearly than you've ever seen before. People might say you're in denial. They may just say that's your way of coping with it, but you will know, and that's all that matters. The real source of that place. Let's stand. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and God bless.